No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the trip to Texas and the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. What makes a Carnival Cruise fun? That's up to you. Maybe it's a ride on boat, a roller coaster at sea, or a deep tissue massage at the spa. Creole-inspired cuisine at Emerald's Bistro to laid-back bites at Guy's Burger Joint. Excursions that take you from jungle adventures to beach days at Mahogany Bay and sunsets from the top deck. Long story short, no one does fun like Carnival. Carnival, choose fun. Ships Registry, Bahamas, Panama. The Bowery Boys, episode 83. Hello, Henry Hudson. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello, welcome to the Bowery Boys. I'm Greg Young with a solo show this week for you. And we are going way, way back. Back all the way to the year 1609. Of course, many years before there was a New York. In fact, to the day before there were even any Europeans that had ever set foot on the island of Manhattan. This is, of course, the story of Henry Hudson, the English explorer who first sailed into New York Harbor, past that landmass that, of course, one day we would all call Manhattan, and up the river that would, of course, bear his name, the Hudson River. Now, you're going to be hearing a lot about Henry this year as New York celebrates the 400th year of his voyage on the ship The Half Moon. A lot of people trace the discovery of Manhattan itself to the date of, get this, September 11th, 1609, which is the first day that Hudson sailed into New York Harbor and first set anchor on the southern tip of the island. So I'll try to lay out the basics for you here with some highlights about Hudson and the discovery of New York Harbor itself. Of course, I'll be going way outside the sort of normal parameters of what we usually talk about here on this podcast. But don't worry, at the end, I'll definitely be bringing it back to New York. Now, far from being a great and noble discovery for a far-off European land, the harbor and the land around it was actually kind of incidental to Hudson and his particular mission. However, by the end of this podcast, I'll reveal the real reason why his voyage is still important to us today. Before 1609, the area that is today the New York City metro area, not to mention all of New Jersey and the western part of Long Island, all of this area was inhabited by the Lenape Indians. From your old school books, you probably know the Lenape as the Delaware Indians, because that's what the Europeans refer to them as. You can impress your friends with this fact. Their original name for this region was actually Lenape Hake Inc., That means, not surprisingly, where the Lenape dwell. The first European to ever see New York Harbor got there over 75 years before Henry Hudson. His name was Giovanni de Verrazzano, a Florentine explorer who actually cruised through the narrows at the mouth of New York Harbor way back in 1524, anchoring right off of Staten Island. However, this was basically an incidental pit stop for Verrazzano, who left shortly thereafter. 
But today we call the bridge that spans that area the Verrazano Narrows Bridge after this explorer. Verrazano, by the way, met his end just four years later in the Caribbean, apparently captured and cannibalized by residents there who probably could have taken some hospitality lessons from the Lanape. There's speculation that a few other French and Portuguese explorers may, of course, dipped their toe here into New York Harbor in the subsequent years. But basically, there was really no further Lenape European contact until the early 17th century with the events involving our topic today, Henry Hudson. Now, over in Europe in 1609, you had Shakespeare. He was still writing plays. Galileo was just beginning his work on his telescopic observations of the moons of Jupiter. And the world's two greatest sea powers were the English and the Dutch. Two years earlier in 1607, the British would actually settle their first colony in North America, called Jamestown in the Virginia colony. Amid England's great dash to create a world-expanding empire comes our hero here, Henry Hudson. Henry was born in London in 1565, and by the early 1600s had actually risen to become a well-respected and ambitious sea captain. In his time, sea explorers were the great icons of the age, and he grew up really wanting to emulate these voyages, becoming a great legend like the great Sir Francis Drake or, of course, Christopher Columbus. In a sense, though, if we look back on his whole career today, just look at everything that he did, well, he's kind of a failure. At least he would have considered so in his own eyes. That's because his lifelong dream was to find an alternate sea passage from Europe to Asia. Now, trade with Asia was, of course, becoming the defining ambition of the richer European countries. And Spain and Portugal were actually the first to become extremely wealthy by exploiting a sea passage there. The obvious hindrance, of course, for Europeans doing this was that to get to Asia via shipping vessel required really long journeys far south around Africa, and then through the Indian Ocean. Many believe, though, that there actually existed this sort of modern holy grail of a much shorter passage, a northern passage to Asia. This was, of course, Henry's great ambition. He had, in fact, already tried twice under the flag of England, under the employ of the Muscovy Trading Company. The first time, in 1607, he thought that sailing his ship straight north, as in, like, straight through the North Pole, would actually be a perfect plan because it was believed that the ice actually thinned as you got closer to the pole and, of course, that there would be months and months of just nonstop daylight so you could just keep sailing and sailing. Obviously, that didn't work out for him. So the next year, in 1608, the Muscovy Company sent him out on a voyage northeast around the upper portion of Russia. I mean, as we plainly know from a map today, that would hardly have been a shorter voyage, even if he had made it, even if it was possible which, of course, he didn't, and it wasn't. But during this trip, I mean, Henry just didn't want to return to England empty-handed again and being defeated by geography. His gut told him that the path, the real path to Asia, actually lay to the northwest, not northeast. And so he commanded his crew to turn the ship around and plot a new course west. His crew, however, probably understandably, Almost mutinied at this, because they'd been at sea for months. They wanted to go home. And so Henry had to limp back to England, and he was still no closer to his dream. Now, this was in 1608. But our Henry here is nothing if not persistent. He wanted to keep trying. The English company that was employing him, however, well, they were kind of through with him. And I'm thinking perhaps the near mutiny might have had something to do with that. 
He wanted to keep searching, and soon the Dutch, one of England's, of course, their greatest ocean rivals, well, then they signed him up under the head of their own trading outfit called the Dutch East India Company. It's actually been speculated, by the way, that Hudson might have, in fact, still been working for the English crown as a spy. For during the process of getting ready for this next voyage, the Dutch was providing him with a lot of maps and routes that the English actually didn't have. And in fact, if given what happens next in the story, he might have even been assigned to derail the entire mission on behalf of the English. This is just sort of one theory as to why things go as they do. So the Dutch provided him with a new ship called the Half Moon, as well as a crew of between 16 and 20 men, including one man by the name of Robert Jewett, who kept diaries throughout the entire trip. The Half Moon set sail on April 6, 1609, and headed off, of course, towards their mission. Going northeast again, however, yes, that's right, back over the Russian side, the Dutch had actually not given up hope finding passage this way, but of course, Henry had his own agenda. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. After about a month on the rough icy oceans going this Russian route, Henry actually convinced the rest of the crew that they should actually be going northwest towards the New World. He convinced them by showing them a variety of different maps that he had, including one that had actually been laid out by John Smith, who was the English captain who had founded the very first permanent English settlement of Jamestown. So he had all these maps obviously lying around. So I think we can obviously assume that it was not Hudson's intention to stay on a course that he already knew was flawed. He was already planning on going his own way. So Henry and the Half Moon sailed through the Atlantic, finally reaching Newfoundland in July of 1609. Now, to get their bearings, they actually sailed down along the coast of the continent, going south, having a few unsavory encounters with native tribes along the way, before arriving outside that English settlement of Jamestown in Virginia. Now, since they were a Dutch ship, Hudson didn't think it would be exactly wise to stop in and say hello to his friend Smith, so they actually ended up sailing back north this time very carefully looking for a body of water that would be sort of their way in into this mysterious continent. What he found on September 3rd were those narrows that in fact had once greeted Verrazano over 75 years ago. They went ashore there on the Staten Island side and ended up trading with the Lenape Indians. He gave them some beads and some knives and they gifted him with corn, tobacco, and hemp. Hudson sent a part of his crew to inspect the other side of the Narrows, that area around today's Coney Island. 
But things didn't go so cordially for them, however. One of his men, named John Coleman, was shot and killed by an arrow to the throat. I have to say, though, that Hudson was no saint either. When his men returned from this mission, they then attempted to kidnap a couple of natives in retaliation. So one week after arriving here in New York Harbor, the Half Moon finally arrives at the island to the north, what Jewett's diary famously refers to as Manhattan. They rested that evening, September 11th, here at the southern tip of Manhattan. Today, to kind of even imagine where they may have anchored, you have to really reimagine this area of the city because most of Battery Park and the western side of lower Manhattan are landfill that basically came later. But it was around this area that they first anchored. But this was merely a pit stop. They really weren't that interested in Manhattan, frankly, because Hudson had his eyes on that broad river that just ran northward. This he was sure, was the path to Asia. I mean, this had to be it, right? Well, unfortunately, after a couple weeks traveling up this river, the Great Mohican, what the Lenape call the Mohicanatuk, getting to around where Albany is today, he quickly came upon the devastating truth that this was, in fact, no passage to Asia. He was, of course, crushed by this realization. And as we know today, his quest was always destined to be fruitless. So Hudson and the crew of the Half Moon sailed back down the river, this river that he had thought had been his great discovery. Frankly, by this time, the honeymoon was over between him and the native Lenape. On October 2nd, as they again passed the island of Manhattan, now on their port side, they were met by an attack of 100 natives in canoes. Although nobody in the Half Moon was killed, Hudson managed to kill many on the other side. A bloody skirmish that the Lenape would remember many years later when the Dutch would return to settle here on the island. So Hudson's voyage was once again a failure. But what makes it so central to New York history was something that must have seemed somewhat incidental at the time. For among the ship's logs and the diaries were these descriptions of the wildlife of the region a rich bounty of, quote, furs, of martens and foxes, and many other commodities as birds and fruit, even white and red grapes, unquote. The Dutch decided to just sort of make do with this region as a haven for fur trading. In the coming years, the Dutch would send out another explorer, Adrian Block, to further map out the land and assess its riches of animal fur. In 1614, just five years after Hudson made his journey, Block would actually navigate the east side of Manhattan, today's East River. It would be in that year, in 1614, that Block would officially proclaim the entire area New Netherland. Eleven years later, in 1625, a permanent Dutch settlement would finally be formed in the harbor at the southern tip of Manhattan, just near the area where Hudson had actually once anchored. That settlement would, of course, be called New Amsterdam, and the rest, they say, is history. And so, whatever happened to Henry Hudson? Well, his story doesn't end so well. The Half Moon sails back to Europe. Now, for reasons that historians can't quite figure out, though that spy theory I mentioned earlier might have something to do with this, Hudson docks in England, not in the Netherlands, being, of course, in a foreign vessel. He was detained there, and the Half Moon, including its ship logs, was sent back to the Dutch. Hudson, though, he was not deterred. He still wanted to find this passage. The very next year in 1610, he convinced England to send him one more time back out to find this elusive passage, this time to go a northwestern route over the New World and the land he had, in fact, just traveled. With a new ship, he pushed through the Canadian Arctic with a crew that it was, of course, growing ever more disgruntled with their single-minded, perhaps even slightly crazy captain. Eventually, they could take it no further. In June of 1611, 
Hudson's crew actually mutinied. They ended up throwing Henry, his son, and a few still loyal men into a very small boat in the frozen waters and just set it adrift. Hudson and his men faded into the horizon and were never seen again. His name would live on in most of his discoveries, including, of course, the renamed Hudson River, which would, of course, become key to the success of New York City, especially with the construction of the Erie Canal, which would link his river, we'll call it his river, not to a passage to Asia, but to the far modest Great Lakes. And then 300 years after his arrival, the citizens of New York City celebrated his voyage with a huge party in 1909. It was called the Hudson Fulton Celebration an extravagant display of technological and electrical progress that also kind of served as a pat on the back for New York City and becoming the world's richest and most important city in the world. By the way, New York State will be having a rather scaled-down version of this Hudson-Fulton celebration this year, celebrating Hudson's 400th anniversary. This will actually be culminating in, in a lot of big events starting on July the 4th in New York Harbor, and then a week of festivals and all sorts of like maritime events beginning in September 26th. You can read all about these upcoming events to the Hudson Fulton celebration on our blog, BoweryBoysPodcast.com. There aren't a whole lot of pictures from this time, but we'll have some old maps and some images of some of the people that I talked about on the show. Tom will be back in a couple weeks. We have a great new topic prepared. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. to family vacations there are a million different trips you can take you can get your own trip to texas or if you prefer a vacation from your family you can always get your own leave the kids with grandma trip to texas so go to traveltexas.com get your own for the only trip to texas that matters yours 